Welcome to today's summer edition, and it's all thanks to the Australian Mungbean Association. It's the 7th day of March. We're a week out from the NRL, which means it is our last episode of uh, this season's summer edition. Don't fret, though, listeners. We'll be back from next Sunday with the off-season 9am here across the Resonate Broadcast Network. I in Introduce the two great men that's made us go around for the past 20-odd weeks. Nick Backstrom, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It has been like a little weekly advent calendar with you boys. Looking forward to the NRL like Christmas. And every week we open the door to the treat that is the summer edition. Scott Parkinson, you're a treat that keeps on giving. Welcome, mate. Thank you. And when you get to the end of a season, you want to look back at highlights. And I just want to play Dale's highlights for the year. (laughs) Now, lads, a, a massive uh, day on the calendar is International Women's Day tomorrow, and we should highlight uh, over the next uh, couple of minutes the impact of women in sport now and uh, the funds, the extra funds that have been driven into the sports, the exposure, the big stadiums, the BBL, the NRL, the AFL, boys, and it's really positive for, for younger girls etc to look forward to this and and think i can be that lady yeah it's all about the opportunity rather than anything else it's the uh it's not that uh, women can do whatever men can do it's what uh, women can do whatever they damn well want and uh, that's the important message and it is an important message and um you know scott we'll get to you shortly and, and you're a school teacher and you'd see a lot of young girls and i've got a young daughter myself look at sports and aspire to it. They love playing their cricket. They want to play rugby league. They want to do what the boys can do. And now they can. And and lots of organisations have got behind women in sport and made this possible. Oh, without a doubt. I think we're going away from the girls just make numbers in a boys' team to girls mm. having teams of their own. And I, I think it's, you know, as a PE teacher and a, and a male PE teacher, I, you know, I've got a big, big role in encouraging girls and boys to play sport. And, you know, even as a male athlete, <laughs> loose term, but, you know, like the work, like my mum was a really, like she's a woman in sport. Like she was a manager of my basketball team. You know, she drove kids all around. Like those are the, the other women in sport that I just think is amazing. So well done to all the women out there and have a great day on Sunday. And the product of women's sport, Nick, is becoming better and better by the year. It is becoming better and getting more crowds and audience, uh, which is all to the positive. Yeah, it's all about positive female role models. They're not about just looking nice or uh, whatever. There's about there's strength, there's ability, all those things that are good. Can I challenge that and not necessarily say, like, yes, the sport is getting better and it's getting more funding and more exposure, mm. but I think we're now getting used to seeing women play more sports. Like, I look at NRL and everyone at the start was like, oh, this isn't, you know, they don't hit like the men or mm. whatever it is. But now we're actually appreciating as a woman, women's sport. Yeah. It's not, we're not looking at, it's not as good as the men's or whatever. We're actually saying, this is the women's code. We're not looking to compare. That's the way they that's, play. That's yeah, why, that's, that's not, we're not doing that anymore. Play. I think yeah, that's yeah. why it's better because we're not comparing it. Mm. We're, we're looking at them as two completely product. different yeah. things. Yeah. And, and we love broadcast and uh, we love our summer edition and everything we, we do on the, the airwaves. And uh, women in broadcast and sportcast in sports broadcasting in particular is another thing that's coming to the fore. And I, I sent you boys a message during the week at Kelly Underwood. And I remember she was heavily scrutinised when she started calling AFL. It was about 10 or 12 years later and she's still in the media uh, ladies like Erin Molan cops flack for commentating on male sports is that something that's going to the, the breaks are going to release on that in time well yeah I mean I think it has become you know particularly we see the cricket 
uh, commentary this summer, we've seen a lot of female commentators who are ex-cricketers, just the way the males are, and they've got the same insights and psychology mm. of the game and tactics. They don't change regardless of what, oh, you, I agree. what your physique is. Um, it's just did, the voice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, which you, I, you know, you just, it's just a matter of getting used to that. You are, expect, you are used to just hearing male voices, suddenly hearing female voices, but they've got equally valid things to say. It was interesting, My we had Sophie Norton, a friend of mine, some, year, uh, some weeks ago on the... Uh, the, uh, from the stands, she said the real mark is when we see a woman coach um, male national side, mm. which is sort of happening. I know in the in the basketball over in America, there's a lot of assistant coaches mm. are female, yeah. and they said, "Why did you hire a female? Is it about making a statement?" No, she was the best person for the job. Yeah, but I get back to female commentators. You often get the comment, "Oh, it's a token female," and mm-hmm. that's what often gets said. But Nick, you're exactly right. I think what it is is, and I know I've been guilty of this in the past. I like commentators like. You know, you look at commentators that have played the game. Mm. So if there's an NRL game on, I think you get a great insight from a, a former NRL player because they've been there, lived through that moment. Obviously, a female commentating an NRL game, they've never played mm. in those sort of moments. And, and just like a male commentating, you know, a netball grand final, those sort of things. I think if we do it as a token just to please people, yep. I think it just falls away and just putting someone there just to fill a spot. But I think female commentators are, are becoming much more... Um, yeah, it's been much more like, interesting to hear and, and much yeah. more um, interesting to listen to, and it's it's lost that tokenism. Nick, our first chat uh, in this hour is Isaac Rodder. Yeah, great to see the uh, the Reds are having a very frustrating uh, season so far. They've led into the halftime each game, and only one game has been able to convert to a win. Uh, they're more aware of that than anybody else. Great to talk to one of the players about that. Alligator blood. Can he be the new black caviar? Can he be the new winks? Either way, he's a champion in his own right. And we talked to trainer David Van Dyke. Great insight, not only into the horse, horses, but his battles in life. Yeah, and that kind of just come out of nowhere and, and kind of surprise us that he's gone through some pretty tough times. Um, and he was very open with his battles with alcohol and, and drug abuse. Um, but he's on the right path now. And just some fascinating insights into what he does um, full time. Gymnastics, the first of today's sports. We're going to put the microscope on for this year's 2020 Tokyo Olympics. And Scott Coston joins us, Nick. Yeah, lovely young bloke. Yeah, there's something very pure about gymnastics. It really is just the body in motion. It's not about the equipment or anything else. Just, everyone uses the same equipment. It's just about the strength, the uh, flexibility, the focus. There's something very beautiful and pure about gymnastics. It's great to chat to someone about that. Caleb the Cannonball Gayhan from uh, Lismore, northern New South Wales, joins us to talk handball. Handball is one of those sports is completely different <laughs> to what I see on a day-to-day basis. You don't see any drag rallies. You don't see any fools played. <laughs> And um, and I think he cops that a lot. I think he's fair to say yeah, he's yeah, copped that yeah. a fair bit. But, you know, again, it's it's funny when these people have these heroes in sports that we've never even heard of. I mm. think it, again, just fascinating. Great chats. All on the summer edition heard right across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with today's summer edition, and it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. We can be heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. It is a sad day today, boys, like I've said a couple of times during the past uh, hour or so. The last episode for 2019-2020 summer edition, but we will be back from next Sunday uh, with the off-season on the Resonate Network, 9am, just getting that 
plug in there now, Nick. <laughs> Sunday mornings, that's right. Now, we have been looking into uh, some of the Olympic sports, the sports that only get real notice in the Olympic years. And uh, it's been, I've, I've been really enjoying these chats. Now, this one, it's one I've got a bit of a fondness for myself. I've done it a little teeny tiny bit myself. Have you? Yeah, yeah very teeny because I've done a lot of stage combat. <laughs> and with that, you've learned, you run into uh, sports fences. You yes. run into uh, historical fences. It's fascinating stuff. But we are focusing on sports fencing today. And to talk to us today, uh, our Queensland fencing correspondent, David Gilchrist, joins us. Uh, how are you, mate? I'm not bad. How are you? Good, thanks. Now, first of all, uh, we'll have a quick look at this year's prospects for the Olympics. We've been missing for the past two Olympics, uh, Australia. Uh, how are things looking this year, and will we have a representative? Look, Australia does very well uh, on the international stage, and know that from a Queensland perspective, there are uh, people who are working towards the Olympics, but think that it's more likely to be the next time around. Yeah. Right. Hey, David, it's Parco here, and I just congratulate you on the work. I know you're a good spokesperson for fencing in Queensland. What are the participation numbers like for a sport like fencing in the great state of Queensland? The numbers are small. We are probably similar numbers to other uh, combat sports like uh, like judo, for example. It is, though, a very large sport uh, internationally, mm. um, which makes it a, an interesting mix, uh, both for Queensland and, and Australian fencing, because it means that fencers who are looking for national and then international uh, competition, um, that they're a tight group, that yeah. there really are, uh, there really is a a fraternity of fences, uh, both within Queensland and, and interstate, because they travel a lot together. Right. And there are a lot of comps that they need to consider both nationally but also internationally. So you'll find, you'll find Queensland fences fencing at any given time, maybe um, at a national comp. There's one coming up in a few weeks here in Brisbane, the first national comp for the Australian season, or a state comp, which is also in a couple of weeks. But those same fences may well find themselves at a, uh, a Grand Prix event in uh, just about anywhere in the world. There's one for EPE at the moment um, in Anaheim in the USA. And so how well do we go? Uh, or are we, just, <laughs> are we just making up the numbers? Actually... In, uh, on the international stage, Australian fences are doing very, very well. Now, mate... And, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Queensland fences, uh, we have um, a number of fences who are fencing at, a, at an international level and, uh, and uh, you know, holding their own. David, you talked about the fencing bug, and I've, you've obviously been bitten, mate, because you just are <laughs> enthusiastic. I can tell that you love the sport. What do you love about it? What do you just think, what do you love going and watching? You know, you're a fencing parent. What do you love yeah. about the, the great sport of fencing? There are so many aspects to fencing. Firstly, let me explain. There are three different weapons in fencing. There's foil, FA, and sabre. They vary a little bit in, that, well, um, in their rules, and therefore those rules affect the style of fencing. They relate to a number of things, but um, predominantly about uh, the target area, uh, which, for example, with sabre is um, the upper body, or with epee is the whole body, head to toe. The uh, with foil 
it's it's just the torso, not the, not the arms and head. Um, and with epe and foil, the only way you can um, score a point is with the tip of the weapon, where sabre is any part of the weapon, so uh, tip or any um, edge. Nick, that's not a lightsaber um, either. Nick got very excited <laughs> then. Um, David, he's on the edge of his seat thinking lightsabers. Oh, it's serious that you should say that. I know the... The French uh, do allow lightsaber fencing, but we we won't talk about that. No. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to use the force at this stage. <laughs> no, no, no. Now, you asked about uh, why is it such a good sport. Well, regardless of which weapon might sort of suit you, and, and it really is a case of you find the weapon that really suits your sort of personality. Mm. But they all require... Um, strength and fitness, you really have to be able to find some explosive energy when you need it, long stamina periods when uh, working your opponent a little bit in order to get them into a position where you can score a point. But it does more than that. It requires mental agility. It really is a case of you need to be thinking all the time. You don't go into about necessarily with too much of a, a game plan and such, but you have to be thinking. Now, what? why mental agility? Because you're making those decisions within a second or two, you're deciding that you're going to attack or you're going to retreat or you're going to do whatever it is you need to do to overcome part your um, opponent. But it does something else, fencing. Because it has a long tradition, it still holds on to some aspects of that tradition. Yeah. And so what you get out of that is a sense of, you know, you will still walk onto the piece and you will still salute the uh, your opponent, the referee and, and um, those watching. And so you show respect, respect uh, to... And you learn respect. You learn to respect your opponent, to respect yourself, and to respect the sport. But you go even further than that. In a funny way, Queensland and Australian fencing is very, very lucky that we are such a tight group. You really do belong to a fraternity of fencing. Mm. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whether you're a boy from the bush or a city fella. It doesn't matter whether you're a, a tradie or a... Or, or a doctor or a lawyer, because who you are is a fencer. Well said. And you put on those whites and you are one of us. That means when you've had the worst bout and you've lost that bout that you should have really won, then it means you've got a mate to look after you. It has that sort of egalitarian aspect to it that says actually who, you are, who we are. As fencers, but as Australians. Because yeah. that's what we do. Very well said, David. Look, I do love fencing. I love all the historical aspects of it, and I'll always look forward to seeing it uh, come uh, the Olympics. Actually, I was a bit shocked. I just up. There's a couple of clubs I grew up. I grew up very near, and I didn't. I missed them all, so I'm a bit disappointed. But uh, thanks very much for your time today, Dave. The insight into uh, fencing. Oh, not a problem. Any time. And look, I hope we can see you on a piece at some point. Seeing Maybe. That you've Going to have some. Uh, so as well. <laughs> He's about to go outside and practice with his lightsaber. He's very excited. Nick, you've made his dreams come true, David. Oh, well, just use the force and enjoy it. <laughs> David Gilchrist, thanks very much for your time and uh, contribution to this week's summer edition heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network.
Alisson and Chenia, Alligator Blood, Maloney with a pocket full of aces, kicks for home about a length and a half, Catalyst Cell Patch, further back in the field, Superstorm, Dallasan, Alligator Blood lets down at the clock tower at the 200, two leagues in front of Cell Patch, followed by Catalyst Superstorm, Alligator Blood, 100 metres to go, his big heart pounding, he's clear, he wins, Alligator Blood won it! You just heard the call of the friend of the show, Matty Hill and Alligator Blood, winning the Australian Guineas last week. Uh, boys, we've spoken about this horse before. He's got the looks, he's got the name, and he's got the ability. He's a new people's horse of Queensland. And joining us on the line, uh, on the line, trainer David Van Dyke. How are you, mate? Very well, thanks. I knew you were talking about the horse and not me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just give us a bit of a uh, history of the Alligator Blood story. Obviously, uh, it's well publicised. He's uh, the winner of 10 from 11 starts with a second. Um, where did it all begin with the horse? Well, the owners bought him at the Magic Millions and they actually bought the horse in the stable next to him. But um, when they bought that horse, they realised that Alligator Blood only being a yearling, was passed in. So they said to Jerry Harvey, look, if we buy this one, can we buy the one next to it? And he said, yes. So it was sort of like the steaks night thrown in. Two for one palmies. Yeah, so they bought alligator blood as well for 55000 Wow. The one that they originally wanted was by More Than Ready, and I think they paid seventy or eighty for it. Anyway, I trained it, and... It was no good. It just got sold through an online auction. And, of course, Alligator Blood's uh, arguably the best horse in the country. So, you know, when we go to the sales, we're guessing, but they're educated guesses. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we know that all too well, Scotty, don't we? We've just, uh, we just had our horse re-educated for the last eight months. <laughs> yeah, and renamed Money Pit. <laughs> yeah, we, we like to use that term, re-educate, quite often. <laughs> Can I ask, David, what do you do when you re-educate a horse? Because I'm, I'm a teacher by trade, um, and re-education a person is probably very different to re-educating a horse. <laughs> Well, it just depends what context the trainer wants to put it in. It's just a very broad term that can cover whatever we like, really. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, David, uh, obviously the All-Star Mile's been spoken about quite heavily as the target for alligator blood, and I heard comments from yourself uh, prior to the guineas it wasn't uh, a lock. Uh, what's your thoughts at the moment? Yeah, look, I had the vet do x-rays on all his joints on Tuesday, uh, knees, that locks and feet. Uh, they all came back clean. Uh, he went right over him. He found a little bit of muscle soreness behind, which we can expect. Um, I've had the vets in to do all sorts of treatments, chiropractors. We've got a physio coming Saturday. So we're, we really are using all our um, recovery tools to get this horse in the best shape possible for next week. And Look, I'm confident he'll be in pristine condition and um, he'll be there to take his place in the race. And, uh, David, what's the... Uh, obviously, you're all focused on the all-star race at the moment. What's sort of in the future, in 2020, all things going well? Well, it's, it's an incredible year because, there, you know, you go back a few years ago, there was no all-star mile, no Everest and no Golden yep. Eagle. And he's now headed towards obviously the all-star mile then we'll give him a break we'll bring him back for the everest um in october and then two weeks later 
the Golden Eagle. Now, they're worth a combined value of twenty-seven and a half million. Wow! Oh, wow! And 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 he is favourite for all three races. <laughs> it's not a it's not a bad deck of cards to have, is it? <laughs> well, it's not bad. I'm on ten percent, so I'll certainly be trying to get in there. Uh, David, <laughs> now talking about yourself, obviously uh, you've been a well-established trainer for many years. You made the Sunshine uh, move to the Sunshine Coast a few years ago, and uh, anybody that doesn't know you, tra- you train at a very uh, high strike rate, around twenty-two percent winners. Uh, give us a little bit about the David Van Dyke history. Look, I had a, a checkered early life, um, struggled with addiction, alcohol, drugs, uh, and I started training very early in life. I won a premiership at 22. Um, I had my horses at that time drugged by an employee. Um, I then went off the rails, and really it took me from that point about another 15 years to find any sobriety. Um, and I've been clean from alcohol for over 20 years, drugs for over 11, and I'm fit and healthy now, and the last eight years, off the back of a a 10-year break from training, the last eight years have been fantastic. I was making great inroads in Sydney, but I realised that Sydney, especially the inner west, wasn't the place for me. I didn't feel any sense of community, uh, and... I moved up to the Sunshine Coast uh, just under four years ago. Um, I found my people, so to speak, really enjoy living there, and um, I've got a full stable of 38 horses, and along came alligator blood. So, yeah, I left Sydney thinking I may never train a top horse again, and lo and behold, I've now got maybe the top horse in the country. Hey, David, we often talk to, about athletes not making it. Like, for whatever reason, athletes show great potential, whether it's at school or in their early careers, and they don't go on to achieve great things. With horses, do you see that happen? You see great potential in a horse, and for whatever reason, it doesn't make it. And if so, what are some of the reasons why horses with great potential never actually make it to those glory things they can do? Yes, look, it can be very disheartening at times. I mean, I've got horses that have shown a lot more ability than Alligator Blood did in their early days. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a proper Group 1 horse. Mm. But they don't get there due to usually one of two things. Either they carry an injury and they start feeling the pain of that because any athlete feels a degree of pain or discomfort when they're performing at their peak. Now, horses are no different to people. And the mental aspect, the competition the passion to run has to kick in and override any physical discomfort but if a horse has an injury often the the discomfort of that injury overrides the passion to perform and they don't give as much as they can offer and the other flip side of that is sometimes horses don't have the passion to compete and Mm. don't really want to get out there and run and win Uh, They're happy just being, you know, following the pack around, they're herd animals, they pull up after an event and go, you know, that was okay, that's all I need to do, because we've got to remember, horses, when they get out there, they've got to want to win, they're not getting a prize, it's not like they, 
get any extra hay or any money or any kudos <laughs> or read, read about themselves in the paper, they're basically horses like Alligator Blood. His his desire to win is just that. It's a desire yeah. to win. There's no massive reward for him apart from victory. Hey, David Van Dyke, thanks very much for your time and insight into not only your fascinating career, but also the champ, Alligator Blood, and we wish you all the very best uh, in your future conquests. Thank you. It's a summer edition heard right across regional Queensland. Back with today's summer edition, and it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. You can catch us right across regional Queensland on 4VL Charleville, 4ZR Roma, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, and 4SB King Aroynik. Yes, now we've been following some of the Olympic sports. I don't get a lot of coverage unless it's Olympic year. And uh, badminton, that's a game I used to play as a kid. I wasn't very good at it, but that goes without saying. But it's the sort of thing <laughs> people had in their backyard, they gave their kids. But you look at it on uh, Olympics, and suddenly there's a very serious, very fast, yeah. very skilled game. Wendy Chan joins us uh, from Melbourne. Uh, how are you, Wendy? Oh, I'm good, thank you. Now, uh, tell us a bit about um, your career. Obviously, uh, born in Taiwan and uh, been playing it since you were 12 years old. Yeah, I've been playing since yeah, that's 15 years. <laughs> yeah, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're ranked currently ranked uh, 61 in the world. Yes, that's correct. So, tell us a bit about how you got into the sport. Oh, uh, it's a family sport. We started as uh, having it's kind of fun to play mm, yeah. sport, and then. Yeah, I just we just got more interested and yeah, and play like longer after schools and yeah. At what point did you realize that um, you know Olympics, the Olympic rings were a real dream? Actually, it was not until after uni, so it was not so serious uh, before during high schools and then after uni, and we just kind of like, oh, it's actually possible, and then it was a dream for me to go to Olympics since I was little. So yep. it was amazing in 2016 that it was able to come true. Mm. And for the last, I think, five years, you're the Oceana champion. Yeah, it was my sixth title. Six. Yeah. That's a great year. run. I'm just looking at the history of uh, badminton. Again, it's another sport that was invented in England, but seems to be other countries much better at it. <laughs> um, Denmark and yeah, Europe and a lot of the Asian it countries. Is, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> it is uh, uh, Denmark... China, Japan, they're all powerhouses in badminton. What do you think the appeal is in those countries? Sorry? What do you think the appeal is that makes it so popular that, uh, yeah, they're that competitive? Uh, I don't know. I think it's getting better in Australia, though. Like, the yeah. more people are playing, it's getting... Uh, people, before, people just think it's a backyard sport. Mm. Like, they just play in a backyard and, yeah. But so, it's getting better. Like, PE classes have it now, so, yeah. yeah. So, so whereabouts are you based? Ah, uh, Brisbane. Brisbane. And uh, is there a strong competition around the Brisbane uh, region? No, it's hard. We struggle a little bit. The, the national team is based in Melbourne. That's why we are here training with yep. the national team right now. We were supposed to go to Europe tonight. Yep. But our tournament got cancelled due to coronavirus. Oh, it's just popping up everywhere, mm. the coronavirus. Yeah, it's going crazy right now, yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about your path towards Tokyo 2020. Um, what do the next few months look like? Looking pretty good until <laughs> until well, we're supposed to go to Europe for this this upcoming four weeks. Yep. So um, yeah, so we got a lot of tournaments scheduled. Yep. Uh, all me, uh, myself, and my teammates. But yeah, 
it was going to be like this. It was looking really good, but right now we, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen right now. So just a bit more training at home now. A lot of yeah. uh, a lot of these Olympic sports, these uh, smaller sports, we'll call them. Um, probably don't get the sponsorship and recognition that your other counterparts, you know, your footballers and your cricketers <laughs> receive. Is there help for you to get to the Olympics? Uh, we get um, a government support, so I, uh, yep. my state, Queensland helped me Yep. with the um, with the QAS. So they helped yep. me with the scholarship and training facility and physio, um, nutritionist and SNC coaches. So they have been pretty good. On the world scale, uh, where is your biggest uh, competitor going to come from, uh, as in the toughest to beat? Mm, yeah, it will be, again, the Asian countries or like the, and also the uh, Denmark, yeah, Japan. Actually, for women singles, it's probably Japan and China. Right. And what, what about the men's at the moment? Where are the champions there? Oh, actually, I think the female players in Australia are... Um, doing much better than the boys oh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see. Yeah. Uh, Wendy Chan, thanks very much for your chat uh, today and uh, insight oh. into your path towards the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. And uh, we wish you all the best here from Western Queensland. Thank you. It's the summer edition heard right across the Resonate Network. Back with today's summer edition. And it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association, the last episode of 2020 you can catch us right across regional queensland on the resonate network now boys there's been a lot of great athletes born on northern rivers districts in new south wales we had adam gilchrist lisa Cassagrande. she again, was a great there was a wisdom cricketer of the year in 2005 and actually 2010's uh, Longreach cricketer of the year as well <laughs> any excuse to talk about yourself that's who you take it my friend <laughs> but uh we got one on the line here caleb gahan now we're here to talk uh handball boys unfortunately australia have bowed out of qualifications uh for this year's olympics yeah they have now Caleb um first of all mate thank you for coming on the show now when I'm a school teacher mate and the handball that I see every lunchtime in the four squares is very different to the game you play yeah yeah very different of course is a classic classic Australian one when I tell people I play handball they're all a bit confused oh my son really loves that game uh not that one guys um no, no we think about it like water polo on a basketball court I think is the way I normally describe it all right, I'm, I'm just getting that image in my head now. Well, that's uh, that's going to obviously be no good for me. All my tactics really do depend on the schoolboy aspect. Um, so, what sort of competitions are available? You know, what what was the path from playing hey handball at school to where you are now? Uh, I mean, it's a bit of an interesting one for me. Like, uh, to be honest, there was a lot of luck involved. I just happened to be going to school with a girl whose whose dad was involved. Um, you know, it, it's changed a bit back for me back when I got into it. You know, back in 2005. Um, you know, obviously we didn't have this social media mm. presence, uh, you know. So I remember, you know, I went to my PE teacher way back when I saw, I think I saw handball at the 2000 Olympics. And I went, uh, you know, I want to get into this game. And then, yeah, as you say, <laughs> we're doing it in physical education, have a chat to the teacher. I mean, like, do you know where I can go play this? No, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so so where to? Where did you, where did you end up? Yeah, well, so, I mean, eventually what happened is this, this girl I was going to school with, her, her dad was coaching the women's team. He came along and recruited my sister, who was a bit of a netball prodigy, let's say. Um, and, yeah, dragged her along to basically universities have all the teams. So I started out at Griffith University in Brisbane yeah. and then now I'm on to UQ and yeah, kicking around over there. <laughs> so you, you do a fair bit of coaching now. Do you still play? 
Yeah, I was still playing now. So I actually just came back uh, in January. We were in Q8 with the national team. Um, and actually, I've been uh, over in Slovenia for a couple of seasons now. So I'm sort of uh, back in Brisbane for a little bit. Yeah. So, Caleb, you talked about Australia, obviously, um, disappointingly, aren't going to be at the Olympics for handball. Who are the power nations? You mentioned, mentioned Slovenia, but who are, who are we getting gold at the Olympics, do you feel? Well, uh, Spain are got to be red-hot contenders. So they just just grabbed the European Championship. France, always strong. Uh, and then we see uh, countries like Croatia, Slovenia, down in the Balkans, they're, they're quite strong. And then up in Scandinavia as well, uh, Denmark, Norway, you know, these guys are all doing really well as well. And Caleb, uh, I mentioned the fact that I'm a PE teacher, so sell me the game of handball. If I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to teach it at, at school tomorrow, uh, probably not with the preps, um, they struggle with <laughs> most simple <laughs> games, but if I'm going with the older kids, why is handball such a great sport to get involved in? Ah, look, I, I tell you, and this is the reason I sort of stuck with it ahead of everything else that I played, is, is it's the best combination of everything. You know, like <laughs> handball, as a physical education sport in particular, I mean, if you want to look at the skills for athletic development, you know, running, passing, catching, jumping, you know, throwing, these things, uh, they're all sort of really vital skills to any sport you want to play, right? Mm, yeah. um, so, I mean, for me, that's, that's definitely the number one reason. And, you know, as a physical education teacher, if you wanted to assess these people uh, performing a wider variety of skills than most other sports, uh, handball is definitely a good one for it. Just looking at some of the footage of handball, um, does it get, is it a particularly, like it's a fast game, there's a ball going around at a tremendous uh, pace, does it get particularly physical between the players? Yeah, it's, it's pretty damn physical. Um, I normally sort of say somewhere between basketball and AFL. Um, so there's <laughs> one of those things, you know, where... Well, look, technically, it's against the rules to make contact, but you want to make a foul. Um, <laughs> yeah, so a little bit sort of, of mongrel. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're making contact to, to essentially kill the momentum of the attack, um, You know, knowing that you're going to give them a, a free throw, but that they've lost their sort of structure and momentum and, and they have to slow down and start again. Mate, you grew up with a, a solid pedigree of, of baseball in your blood. Um, did you ever get to a crossroads and nearly went another way with your sporting career? Uh, yeah, look, I would say so. I think, um, I mean, one of the things that happened with, with handball is, I mean, most of the other sports I played, so I played, yeah, baseball, but also basketball uh, was a big one for me, AFL and volleyball and threw a bit of javelin. Um, but, you know, I did most of them for my school. Uh, so once I finished high school, handball was sort of the one that I was playing, you know, in a community outside of high school, um, you know, so it was a lot easier to sort of stick with that and sort of integrate myself. Oh well, yeah, Caleb, looking Bro. looking looking at the handball, is there much uh, support there financially from the government bodies or uh, other organisations to help you get around? Uh, look, no, it's it's very very limited. We actually, I mean, for the first time, so this sort of Olympic cycle was the first time we we got funding since uh, the Sydney Olympics. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's minimal. I don't want to go into exact figures, yep. but uh, you're looking at something like, you know, they gave us essentially four years' worth of funding to cover two teams, uh, you know, the men's and the women's program, and, I mean, it's as much money as we spend to go to one Asian championship. You know, so wow. Theoretically, for us to qualify to the Olympics, you know, we have to, you know, an Asian championships, then a world championships, and then there's a further Olympic qualification tournament, so... That four years of funding, <laughs> yeah. not getting anywhere near covering that. 
And mate, you you pretty much sold me on on signing up to play handball. I'll be playing it tomorrow. Watsy will probably come down and, and dominate as usual as he does it at most sports. But um, professionally, like there is a bit of money in handball in some of the European. You mentioned Spain, but you can make a fair bit of coin playing handball in other parts of the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely the the, the top guys playing sort of uh, Germany. Germany has probably the, the biggest league, and then of course there's a there's a championship league, um, you know, similar to football, uh, soccer. Um, so you see a lot of those teams, and in particular, like, for example, Barcelona, they own a handball team as well. And mm. so if you're playing handball for Barcelona, yeah, you're probably earning some good coin. Um, there's also a fair bit of money just quietly kicking around in the Middle East over there, Qatar and, and Saudi Arabia and stuff like that there. For them, handball is, you know, again, probably the, the second most popular sport behind soccer. Um, wow. So, yeah, it, it's quite well off itself. You know, it's, people in Australia are a little bit uh, unaware of how popular it is around the rest of the world. <laughs> now, after talking to you, mate, I'm 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 hooked. I'm converted. I'm gonna I want to follow the handball at the Olympics. Who are the guys I should watch out for? Like, if you say basketball, obviously we're looking at guys like LeBron James. Baseball, we're looking at um, other players. Not, <laughs> not, not all over baseball. Um, players, yeah. But who are the, who are our top? Not Australia because they're not going to be there. But who are the guys that we're going to watch at the Olympics that really uh, play some good handball? All right, there's a couple of good guys. So this guy, uh, Domingoj Dukniak, so from Croatia, uh, one of my personal favourites, actually, a bit of my yeah. idol. Um, MVP of this year's European Championship, so he's in some pretty good form. So oh, cool. keep an eye on him. Uh, Mikkel Hansen, guy from Denmark, left back there. Uh, and, you know, a bit of shout-out one of my Slovenian mates, so Blaz Jan, a uh, little right wing for Slovenia. Mate, so quick. Uh, and just incredible with the ball, so definitely worth keeping an eye on him down there as well. And a keen listener to the summer edition too. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about good with the ball. I did uh, YouTube some of your clips and a fantastic goal there, uh, oh, yeah. piercing down the right-hand side. <laughs> We're going to share uh, on our Facebook page. Yeah, we will have to. Hey, Caleb, thanks very much for your time this afternoon. A fascinating insight uh, to the life of a handballer and, and all the best. Oh, of course. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it was great to chat. It's the summer edition heard across regional Queensland. Into the second hour of today's summer edition, and it's a big thanks to our great sponsors, the Australian Mung Bean Association. You can catch us right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Big hour coming up, but headlined, of course, by Paco's Probe. Oh, and great to hear a little intro for it too, Nick. So thank you for getting that ready for our last show. Um, I love the sound effect, and it reminds everyone, your prostate checked. <laughs> now, <laughs> my question this week is: we've, we've spoken about Darius Boyd. He has retired, and I think he'll go down as as one of not the greatest players of all time. But he has been a pretty. He won it. He didn't win a Delhi. He got a story to tell. Though, he does. He, the mm. where he is now in terms of the way that he speaks to the media. He is a completely different person when he came into reserve grade out. He had a very a tough different bloke that was in the Lumber Nightclub with Sam um, <laughs> Thaiday. Yeah. Well, that's another little. Yeah, it's another, the, oh, it's another yeah, chapter. Yeah, you're exactly right. So anyway, but what I was getting to was the Broncos, he's announced he's retiring in the year. Mm. I feel as though the Broncos have tried to push him a bit earlier, but apparently the players have come and spoken to the coach and said, we want Darius and the team for what he brings in terms of talk on the field and, and X, Y, Z, all your, um, what are they called? Your, your finer areas, the things that don't come up on a stat sheet. So my question would be, how big is player power at a club? Do players run a club? Do coaches run a club? Someone else? 
which is the best way to go about it? Mr. Watts. Okay, we're talking about Darius Boyd in this instance, and let's rewind. I wish we had some audio of you ranting at the end of last year about <laughs> him falling over his hapless play. Oh, look. I'm there not focused is, on last year. I'm no, saying no, as no, a career. But no, no. But I'm looking at this year. They yep. need a clean slate. They cannot win a premiership. They can barely make the eight with Darius Boyd in the team. You cannot hide players just because they're good talkers. Yeah. That is a soft way out. He is not a first-grade footballer. He hasn't been for some time, and he needs to be moved on. It doesn't matter. You know, like, it's not feel-good footy. Yeah, you, well, and you you cannot sit there and tell me you can win a premiership with him on the field. You you can't win a premiership dragging. I completely agree, yeah. but dragging someone along for the ride, you no, can't. You can't. So in that respect, yeah, he might bring a bit to the table, and, and there's no doubt of his experience. He's been a journeyman. He's you know done it all. You know he lived in the pocket of Wayne Bennett, Darius and Darius's little head. But as far as that's concerned, he's got to go. And if the you know, it's got to be a time where if the Broncos say he's got to go and the coach doesn't think he's up to it, the players need to shut their mouth and yeah. do what they're paid for, and that's not to chip in. Nick. Yes, it's all a question of balance. People have their jobs to do. Um, I don't. I'm not a big fan of the uh, committee having that much of a say, but uh, obviously the selectors, whoever it's they like are, like having five captains. Yeah. Yeah, and the selector and the coach, it's their job really to say who should be in and out of the team. You might listen to your uh, players, of course you would, but in the end it's got to be the coach's call. Uh, I'm thinking about when players have too much power, and the classic example of my particular bete noir is uh, David Warner. Uh, He was apparently, uh, they put him as vice-captain, they thought he'd be too disruptive anywhere else, and you go... What? Yeah. How does that make you? Yeah. Yeah. How does that affect the team? Look where Australia got to with him in that position. That's that's because the uh, administration coaches and didn't have the uh, the proverbial the cojones uh, to uh, tell them to sit down and shut up and do your but, own job. And I, I think it becomes an issue now where players they get too big for their boots and they're obviously mm. paid more than the oh, selectors. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. paid more than the coaches. They're paid more than their peers. They're in the media. That doesn't mean they get a bigger <laughs> voice. And mm. uh, look. It comes down to a little bit of respect. And look, I understand where the players are probably coming from, but I think it's a bad decision, and I think it's a bad decision to let the lunatics run the asylum. Oh, I, I don't I don't completely disagree with you. I, I mean, I'm of the opinion, though, unless there's someone banging the door down, and in the Broncos' case, there probably is a little bit with this Jesse Arthurs who signed from the Titans, but unless there's someone there to replace him, why? Why change it? But is he a first-grade footballer? Well, he... he or he is had, he living he had on good, his reputation? He had good games last year, but I think it's fair to say, as a whole last year, lived on his reputation. Give he him, was in give, there as Darius Boyd. I will give him... A 2019 mark I am fair to say, 2019 mark out of 10, I'm going to say a full. Not good enough to be playing and getting paid as a professional. So, but you don't think, given his uh, reputation, everyone can have a bad time, everyone can have a bad year. Yeah. And but the w- next year you can be, he might be on the ball this year. Who knows? We don't know yet. But what's he, the, the team is not one player. Darius Boyd got slammed last year. The Broncos yeah, as a whole were disappointing. Yes. And, and Darius Boyd copped, and we talk about mental health, what he copped from blokes like me, even though <laughs> I wasn't that as harsh, but he copped a lot yeah. last year. He was the main reason... In everyone's eyes, well, the Broncos didn't make the eight. I oh, made the eight, but you know, got smashed out. He was not the reason why we lost. But he was a weak link in he the chain. He was a weak link in the chain in a weak team and a team that was not mentally strong enough. So I think you look at 2019 and put that in a box and go, yep, 
it was a crap year for the Broncos. Yeah. Darius Boyd definitely contributed to the crap year. Let's just see what Darius Boyd is like now. He's got no captaincy on his shoulders. He's retiring at the end of the year. Give him one, two, three games. There's no one else that's actually pushing him out of a spot. Give him a chance because last year was a crap year. Well, Let's this, see what happens. This, this is year. this is my point, Ben, before we move on to this afternoon's second lot of guests, is that Australian cricket were guilty of this for a long time when we went through the golden era. We really balked at blooding new people. Yeah, All you were yeah. doing is delaying the inevitable. Yeah. He is Deadwood. Cut him, and yeah, you're gonna you're gonna bring in maybe one, maybe two, maybe three players who will cut their teeth and not make it. But eventually, you'll find that player, and it's gonna save you time. I'm not ready to call him Deadwood yet, and I, and I I'm not. I respect your opinion. This, I'm, I'm this not is, calling this him is being recorded, so I can't wait to replay this to you in two weeks. <laughs> we talk, uh, Nick. Uh, we continue on our talks with a, a Olympic athletes, and this time Wendy Chan talks badminton. Yeah, it's fun because um, yeah, I think a lot. In common with a lot of uh, fellow, uh, not only Australians, but all around the world, we play badminton in the backyard as kids, and we put it away. And uh, that's certainly, uh, Wendy's story started the same way, playing badminton in the backyard, and now here she is on the world stage. It's a great story. Another famous Gilchrist is this time, David. <laughs> he talks fencing. Can I tell you, one of the most inspirational people we've spoken to, and what I love is I love when you've got an experience, you know, I don't mean this in any offence. When you went to such an obscure sport like fencing, which in the public opinion of Australian sporting world ranks about 1%, this bloke was so passionate, I really enjoyed the chat. It was one of our most memorable chats. Without a doubt. And I know David will be listening. I, yeah, loved it. Josh Smith uh, from the stands tagged in uh, Johnny McKenna. He was a, a champion schoolboy athlete, loves his North Queensland Cowboys, and we talk all things sport. Yeah, I love talking to Josh anytime I can. Very weird sport fan, Josh. I know he's a Cowboys supporter, but he wears about 15 other jerseys. So <laughs> it's just interesting to see why that's the tactic, whether he does have one love. And um, I'm yeah. going to put it on him too, because he made a bet with me three oh, yeah. years ago that if... He'd get a haircut? <laughs> no, he would make a comeback to athletics if I did. Oh, still waiting. Yeah. Well. And so is a very disappointed athletics crowd. <laughs> it's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Back with today's summer edition, thanks to the Australian Mungbean Association, the last episode of, of the year <laughs> before we switch into NRL. And, of course, the new show, Boys, the off-season. Oh, what an exciting time to be alive. I mean, one show finishes, another door opens. Yeah, boys... Exciting to be a Reds fan this year. It's been a very, very frustrating start to the year with just the one win. I know it's a new squad, but um, fans reeling at the prospect of another year outside the uh, finals. Oh, for sure. You can feel the... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the players feel it too. Uh, yeah, the, the first half's have been fantastic, and then the second half's not as much. And, and well, I guess we got a positive. We've got a Red on the phone. We've got mm. Isaac Roddy here. Isaac, how are you, mate? Real friend of the show. Great friend of the show. Thank you. So, Isaac, what's he just spoke about the season? Now, we look at, like, one win out of five games, but you've been in every game you've played. What are your thoughts on the season so far for the Reds? Yeah, mate, it's been a, quite a uh, frustrating start. You know, we've played five games and we've led at halftime in all five of those um, games. It's, um, you know, it's definitely a work on of ours to not get take the foot off the throat in the second half, which has been our curse so far this year as well the game slip away in the second half but there's been a lot of positives um, taken from the games you know we're, we're playing good footy our attacks starting to gel and our defense is working really well 
I couldn't agree more, mate. And I think I, I give you guys massive credit because it's good rugby to watch. Mm. Um, and I'd say it's probably one of the better sides to actually watch. I know the results haven't been there, but is it a fact, like they talk about winning mentality. And I guess, you know, when there has been some disappointing years leading up to this one, do you seem to, you know, develop that winning mentality and find those ways to win um, and go on with big scores? Yeah, definitely. I think um, we're still learning learning how to win um, tight games and close out games in a sense. We're still quite a, a very, very young pack, you know. We, we lost a couple of old heads that have moved on this uh, from last year and it just seems that we're still that, that young pack that's still learning and stuff like that. But I definitely think throughout the season, well, we should start to see some better results go our way. For sure. Now, one of the, I think, big positives of the year... Uh, being an old forward myself, sixth grade in the uh, 1986, uh, is the forward pack is fantastic. Like the scrums are great, and the uh, malls have really come along this year. It's much be, it must be, and it's a very competitive, I think, pack to even get into. Like there's a lot of uh, players in Queensland trying to get into that scrum. Yeah, definitely. Um, the forward pack we have quite a lot of depth this year, which is quite exciting. You know, there's. Um, a lot of players pushing for position, which is keeping the competition at training really yeah. high and getting the best out of people each week. But what also excites me is if, well, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if we had an injury or something like that, we wouldn't be, you know, scratching our heads on who yeah. we're going to put into the position because we've got a guy just as good to drop on in there. Now, Isaac, I don't want to get you in trouble here because I do want to ask about refereeing. And one of the, the Reds' biggest things has been around discipline. Um, I know in the in the early rounds there's been countless yellow cards, and to my opinion, not of the fault of the Reds. I'm going to blame the referees. Obviously, I don't want you in, you in trouble and say it's their fault. But, mate, what sort of things – I know you'd probably speak about it and discipline on the field, but what sort of things do you do off the field, like, say, at training, to help, you know, better be you know be better disciplined when you get out there? Yeah, look, penalties have definitely been um, hurting us this year, and especially the yellow cards and stuff like that. Um, we're trying to take note of that and, and, and work from that, looking back at what the penalties really were and how we gave them away and trying to minimise that because if you you know, you know have the penalty count not in your favour, usually the team will end up losing the game, so you want to kind of get that penalty count in your favour. So we're just trying to not give away silly penalties moving forward and trying to learn from the ones that give them so they don't really turn and how hard is it just, um, I know we've got Andrew Watts, who's probably the most fiery sports person in <laughs> central Queensland, if not Australia. How hard is it on the field to keep you cool when you are getting penalised or, you know, you just want to have a bit of chat to say? Is it really hard for yourself, Isaac? Yeah, definitely, you know, because, yeah, I sometimes get a bit angry. Sometimes the penalties go different ways and you kind of think different on the field. But you can only see one side of it. You don't really... Um, you can't really sit down and really watch what happened or see it from a better view at home. And sometimes I'll get a bit angry in the game and then I'll go back and really watch it and go, oh, hang on, he probably got that right there. Probably, probably should have been a little bit calmer next time. Yeah, uh, Isaac, there's a couple of big issues floating around rugby at the moment. One just came up today was they're thinking, oh, there's talk about changing the Gitto law for eligibility for playing for Wallabies, dropping the number of tests, uh, dropping maybe the number of years playing for us in Australia. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's the first time hearing about it. But, um, yeah, look, I think it's not a, not, a, not a bad thing, you know. We've got a lot of quality players overseas that would make um, the Wallabies even stronger. I um, I guess it's a decision that Australia is going to have to make for the, 
mm. benefit of the game and the benefit of the Wallabies. And I know teams like South Africa and stuff don't have a law like that and allow their players to play overseas. And, you know, it looked like it helped them. They won the World Cup. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely something maybe to think about. Now, something else, just, just hitting you as the ambassador for the entire code. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other big story is South Africa may be leaving the uh, Super Rugby to go join and saw a Seven Nations competition in Europe. Yeah, I did, I did see that. Um, there's, yeah, I did see that on the media about um, them talking in, with the Six Nations and stuff like that. It would be, obviously for us, it would be a big shame to see them leave. Mm. Us, they're a quality team. But in saying that, I'm not sure what's happening behind the scenes if they're staying or going, but it'd definitely be a big loss if they exited the rugby championships and Super Rugby. And Isaac, looking uh, for the remaining remainder of the season for 2020, uh, what's the focus now for the Reds? Just to um, learn from those last few games and improve and start notching the wins up and drive for our goal, which is to make finals and win our conference and try and go the whole way. Isaac Rodder, it's always a pleasure to uh, catch up and we really do appreciate your time and contribution to the summer edition and all the best for the remaining 2020 season. Thanks, Cheers. It's the summer edition heard right across regional Queensland. Back with today's summer edition, and it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. You can catch us right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Broadcast Network. And for the final time for the 1920 summer edition, Nick, Take it away. Yes, it's from the stands where we get a sports enthusiast to talk about their dreams, their thoughts, their theories, and their conspiracy theories about sport. And and the one now, he's, he's actually one of the Longreach's biggest celebrities. You'd see him on the Bird of the Word filming next to a real lookalike of his and a hero, Michael Lloyd. But we're not talking to Michael Lloyd. We're talking to Josh Smithy-Smith. How are you, Josh? G'day, guys. How are we? Good, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Now, it is uh, 2020. It is an Olympic year, and uh, many of our listeners would know you as a, a great a junior athlete. Were the Olympic rings ever in your eyes? I think they were in my eyes, Andrew, until probably I hit 17. Um, and then I, I think you know what most people find at 17, <laughs> and I don't, I'm not too sure that that's in anyone's interest after that. <laughs> but, mate, as a junior athlete, um, obviously you are put through your paces out here in Longreach and, abro- and, and further afield. What was it like training as a, as a young athlete out in the West, knowing you were competing against you know, some of the best uh, around the country in, in probably more favourable locations? I think uh, Longreach, we're probably more lucky out here. You know, we've had, um, well, John Palmer, as you get on your Saturday morning sports, he's in everything. Um, and, you know, I would think I was lucky enough to have him as a coach. And, uh, you know, I don't think the other towns around the area sort of get that opportunity. Um, someone is dedicated and that sort of thing. And I think that's probably what helped me out a lot. Um, you know, someone that keeps you keeps you motivated because that's, uh, especially in a solo sport, as a lot of you know, there's... Um, it's not really easy to keep yourself motivated. Um, you don't have a team to turn up to every day and that sort of stuff. You've got to do it all yourself and it can get pretty lonely. Um, so you, to have someone that rings you up and say, why aren't you here? <laughs> you know, you need to be here, blah, blah, blah. That's, um, I think that's pretty lucky to have. That's probably what motivated me the best. And, and how important is that support crew? I could imagine your parents are really supportive of you, Josh. You would have had some great teachers back in the day that I'm sure inspired you to do your best and move forward. Yeah, of course. And I think it's, um, it's not even just... Uh, parents and you know teachers and that i think the whole community gets around it um i think that's probably you know and it's probably one of the privileges of living out where we are is um the whole community gets around you no matter 
no matter what the circumstances. Now, mate, moving on to you as a sports supporter, there's a lot of controversy. I'm hearing these two blokes talk about you. You claim to be a fan of one team, but have about a, a jersey from about every team going. What's the story there? <laughs> well, I think that just comes as part of my uh, fantasy football team, which I'm sure Scott <laughs> would like to talk. He probably wants to bring that up. I'm sure that's on his hit list as well, but... You know, it's just supporting all the teams. Now, uh, we turn our attention to the most northern team in the NRL, the North Queensland Cowboys. You've got your new stadium uh, open last week by the great man Elton John. First game coming up uh, on the 13th against the Brisbane Broncos, the old firm. How do you see that being played out? Uh, As much as Scott's discussed, I think the uh, Cowboys are going to bring it home next weekend for sure. I think they're going to have a pretty strong season. I think, you know, $4.25 to finish top four is easy money, just as Kobe O'Brien would say, just keep backing it on. Um, but, you know, I think they're pretty good chance this year. Mark Kinsey said the stadium's great. He's been up for, I think he might have went and watched Elton John, actually. Um, but, yeah, all reports, the stadium's ready to go and the whole town should be rocking. The place is booked out as well, I think, for the first game. Yeah, Josh, I can't disagree with you. I think the Cowboys have had a far better off-season than the Broncos, so we'll just see what happens going forward. Now, you mentioned Fantasy NRL, and, and for those of you who don't know, Josh is part of our little Fantasy NRL competition. Who uh, We've had the draft this afternoon. It's actually about two hours after we go off air. Number one pick, who are you looking at, Josh? Who do you reckon, if you're starting a Fantasy NRL draft, who do you pick first? Scott's making notes. I'll let you know that. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm and why is it Darius Boyd? <laughs> <laughs> Darius Boyd might have a lot to prove this year, being his last um, season with the Broncos. So maybe he's got a lot to prove. But I think I'm going to stick with the Cowboys and uh, put Granville in there. I think maybe he's got something in the tank for this year as well. He's, you know, I think he's quite underrated in the NRL. Now, Josh, let's have a look at a few uh, long-term predictions here. We love that here on the summer edition. First of all, uh, who do you think is going to pass the post first for the minor premiership? Um, you know, Roosters have done it. I think they were... Were they last year as well? Yep. Yeah, so I think, you know, they've done it. But you uh, might look for an underdog. Maybe we look for Bluey Beard's Parramatta Eels. Ooh, and um, who's who's a team to really watch out for? You know, someone that might have underperformed a little bit last year, other than the say, Cowboys. I'm going <laughs> to say the you know the easiest pick here, and it, I think it happens every year, not just last year. But I'm going to go for the New Zealand Warriors for that one. Uh, I think they're you know every year they just don't seem to they could be. I think underachievers. Yeah, I just think that they could be the best team in the comp in every year, but. For some reason, they just can't put that together. I'm still holding off a lazy five on the Gold Coast. I reckon I'd just clean up if they get home. <laughs> Especially with the lack of fans due to coronavirus and their crap form. So, Josh, uh, my for you is the Dally M. Now, your partner in crime, Max the Madman Tanks, has said Luke Curie all the way. Who do you see taking out the big prize at the Dally M? Yeah, see, I think, um, you know, that's probably not a bad, you know, a bad bet if you going to put money on it this early um i think valentine's Holmes has also got a lot to prove this year he's come back from the nfl um sticking with the cowboys theme here um but i think he's come back from the nrl and i think he's got a lot to prove because in all honesty i think everyone's on his back now Um, you know they don't think he's going to you know going to prove himself before I let you go, Josh, um, you're an integral part of On The Bit. Uh, the uh, cameraman, the tech man, you took over the reins from Aidan Birch in uh, 2019. We get around a lot of country tracks out here. West, is there anyone in particular you're looking forward to this year? 
is in a race award. meeting. Oh, a race meeting. Oh, Long Ridge Cup is going to be huge. Yep. Um, you know, and I think the, the whole town needs to really get behind that. And yeah, because I think it's going to be huge this year. I think it's going to be bigger and better than last year. Josh Smith, uh, thanks very much for your time and contribution to the summer edition. And uh, all the best being a Cowboys fan in 2020. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, hey? It's the summer edition heard right across the Resonate Broadcast Network. And that's just about it for this season's summer edition. It's all over Red Rover, and it's a big <laughs> thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association, a big thanks to all our listeners and supporters across regional Queensland on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and Hot Country. It's not all doom and gloom. We'll be back next Sunday uh, for the off-season to talk all things uh, sport. Scott Parkinson, Nick Backstrom, it's been a pleasure. And I'd like to thank today's guests, Isaac Rodder, uh, David Van Dyke for his fascinating chat about alligator blood, Scott Coston from Gymnastics, the human, uh, the cannonball, Caleb Gahan from Lismore, uh, Wendy Chan from Badminton, and David Gilchrist's chat about fencing. Boys, I'm throwing you the microphones. <laughs> Your favourite summer edition chat for the year take it away oh look i would say my favorite group of chats has been the ones we've done over the last few weeks talking to the olympic uh, athletes and players of sports that don't normally get a lot of coverage and it's great to you know talk about the different skills the different lifestyles the different passions and life stories that get them into it i've, I've, I've found them absolutely fascinating and nick it's ultimate passion isn't it because oh, a lot yeah. of these sports are unfunded that's you right. know a lot of this would be self-funded they make their way all across the nation and further afield to to follow their goals, to follow their dreams of Olympic glory. Yeah, and it's not the sort of thing that you're going to wake up in the morning and see it on the on the news or on your newspaper, like you know, the football codes, for example. Mm. Um, it's really got to come, that motivation, which always comes from within, but uh, you haven't got any of that external motivation to help you along. Okay. Oh yeah, oh, I couldn't agree more, Nick. Oh, I really enjoyed the the conversation with the Olympians. We had David um, David Gilchrist on today, and just the passion these people mm. have for such an obscure sport. Yeah. And I don't mean obscure in any way of disrespect, but just a sport that's not recognised or not really in people's attentions yeah. during the year. And I just love the passion they show. A personal favourite for me was Paul White, purely because yeah. as a Broncos fan and the man at the top. Um, in one of, let's be honest, the greatest sporting club in Australia in terms of you know money coming in, but you know yeah, it's okay. it's a great organisation. So I thought it was fascinating. And I just enjoy hanging out with you guys, and I mean like Seinfeld. Seinfeld went out on top, as will the summer edition. But it's been an absolute pleasure. If, if I know our fans, and I really don't want to, but they're going to miss us. And it's been great just chatting to you guys about all the hot topics in sport. And and a big thanks goes out to all the athletes, the country mm, heroes, 100%. the the people that are turning their attention to. Um, some of their passionate events, you know, the Julia Creek Dirt and Dust, the Birdsville Races or everywhere in between. Um, and, uh, you know, we've just flicked out a lot of messages and we've had a lot of great content yeah. throughout the summer edition. Big favourite of mine, the Power Man. Oh, David Tomain. Yeah, yeah. Stolen his trademark. <laughs> so please don't sue. Um, you know, it was great to get Craig Williams a day after riding a Melbourne yep. Cup winner as well. But what's you exactly right? Look, I mean, we are three blokes who sit in a studio in Longreach. And we believe we're going out to millions, and we've probably got a loyal listener base of about 35. Good afternoon, Chris Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what I love, Watsy, is people are just so generous with their time to give up and have a chat with us and, and have a bit of fun for, you know, mm. a little bit of time in the afternoons. And what I also love about the work that we do, and again, giving ourselves a bit of a pat on the back, is, is making celebrities or making those lesser-known names. Like, I think of Al Fagata. 
you know, someone who's so modest and so, you know, reserved and we've putting them out into a bigger market and actually yeah. floating those stories that otherwise wouldn't get to told. And I think that's a credit to to the station for giving us this time. Um, and, you know, you blokes for getting organised and, and getting those guests on because it's not easy and we've been very, very lucky. And Dale as well, we can't forget him. <laughs> <laughs> Integral part of the team. Oh, and, and, and what a concept from the stands was to bring on oh. an armchair expert and Correct. and letting them loose with um, some great stories, some great insights into their own career. And Of course, Bobby Cooper comes to mind with that one. <laughs> well, that's our most listened to episode. So Bobby Cooper's got his own station now. It's called Don't Sue Me For My Views. <laughs> Boys, it's been a pleasure. Scott Parkinson, Nick Backstrom, and what's he signing out? And a big thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association for their continued support. And we'll catch you again across the Resident Network next Sunday morning from 9am. Until then, 